Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Let me encourage you, please, to turn in your Bibles with me to two places. You'll see several passages in your worship guide, and we're going to we're going to make our way to a couple of these. The first place where you can perhaps find your way is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Go ahead and find that space, mark it. But then I want you to find another place, and that is uh, in the book of Ezekiel. It's not in your worship guide, but we're going to start in Ezekiel and make our way to Corinthians together today. So in Ezekiel chapter 36... We're going to begin reading in chapter 36, verse 26. And we're going to get to that passage and other passages in just a moment. So you go ahead and find those two spots, 2 Corinthians 3 and Ezekiel chapter 36. And by the way, if you're here with us and you're a guest, you're new, or maybe you're new to faith, new to trying this thing out, right? And maybe you don't have a Bible. Maybe you didn't come with one. Or maybe you have one on your phone. That's great. But there's one in the pew right in front of you, and the page numbers are listed in the worship guide. And if you don't have a Bible at home, I want you to take that one home with you. That's our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take the one right out of the pew, and that's yours. Put your name in it and go devour it on your own. But today we begin with prayer. God, in this moment of study, we need your help. And the reason we need your help, Lord, is because even if our heart is willing, willing to focus on you, even if our heart is willing to fix our mind's attention upon you, we will confess to you that our minds are polluted with all kinds of distractions. Even right now, your worshipers here and everywhere, we have many, many distractions that could keep us from fixing our eyes on you and centering our hearts upon you. So our, our prayer is that you would help us today to hear in these passages and to hear in this shared time together a word from you. So we ask that you would take the burdens off the shoulders of those worshipers who are attentive and att- attempting to hear you and speak into our hearts today. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Today we come to the conclusion We need like a big curtain at the end of this to draw to a close. We come to a conclusion of a series that we've been calling Morph. Morph, navigating life through seasons of change. And for seven weeks we have been attempting to imagine what it looks like for people of faith to go through the natural changes of the lifespan and try to do it well. And why have we been doing this? Why for seven weeks have we been talking about change? Because of this. When we enter into a season of change, and it doesn't matter what kind of change, move 
move your child to college for the first time, or maybe the divorce becomes final, or maybe the baby gets born, whatever the change is, in those seasons of change, the ones that come with our permission and the ones that come without our permission, we enter into a time when we have the capacity to encounter the love of God unlike any other time in our life. Because when we go through seasons of change, it makes us a little bit vulnerable, doesn't it? If the change is significant enough, it may pull the rug out from under us. It may kind of shake up the ground upon which we stand. And, and it causes us to be open, maybe desperate for help that comes from outside of us. And because change, no matter how small or how great, because change puts us in that kind of vulnerability, it makes us open to encounter God in ways that we perhaps never have before. And, and if, I, if I wanted to push that statement even one step further, I may even make the audacious claim today that God is out to change you. That God is out to change you. Now I know as soon as those words come out of my mouth, it may be that a little part of you resists that. It may be that as soon as those words come out of my mouth, a big part of you resists that because you're like, don't talk to me about change, about God wanting, everybody in my life is wanting to change me. Mom and dad are wanting to change me. They're always riding me about change the way you dress and change the music you listen to or change what you're eating. Mom and dad are always trying to change me. My wife, my husband is trying to change me. Change the way I drive. Change the way I talk. Change the channel. <laughs> there is a sense in which everyone's trying to change me, so you come at me with God is trying to change me. Well, thank you very much, but I have enough of that. And that may be very well the reason why so many keep God at an arm's distance because the assumption is that God wants to make those kind of changes in our lives, but that's not the kind of change I'm talking about. You know, those kind of changes, there's another word for those kind of changes. You know what that word is? Nagging. <laughs> yeah, right. Change this, nitpick that. Nagging, by the way, in case, we, in case we're not aware, nagging is not a spiritual gift. A little bit like, the, um, little bit like the, the old farmer who was married to a, a woman who his wife kept nagging him all the time. I mean, from morning till night, from the time the rooster began to crow in the morning until the sun went down, she was nitpicking about something every time he turned around. The only relief that he got from her perpetual nagging was when he would go and plow the fields with his favorite mule. He plowed the fields a lot. One day, he was out plowing the fields, and around lunchtime, his wife did something really nice. She made him lunch and brought him lunch out into the field. And so he thought, well, that's great. It's about lunchtime. So he pulls the mule over underneath this shade, the shade of an old tree, and he sits there with his wife, and it's really quite nice. She, she unpacks the lunch, and they begin eating, and at first glance, everything is kind of it's going well. And then about 45 seconds into their lunch, she begins. You know, that line is a little crooked that you just plowed. And don't you think you should wash your hands before you eat? About that time, the old mule reared back and the two back legs just kicked her in the back of the head. Yeah, yeah. At the funeral, <laughs> the minister 
was watching the old man next to the casket and these women would come up and women one at a time would come up and, and the old farmer would nod his head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One woman at a time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the minister was watching this from a distance but every time the man, a man would come up, one at a time, the men would come up and he would shake his head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So after the funeral, this seemed odd, so the minister came up to him and said, I noticed that when the women came up to the casket, you would agree with them, nod your head in affirmation, but I noticed that when the men came up, you, you shook your head no. What was going on there? And the old farmer said, well, when the women came up, they were saying nice things about my wife. She looked pretty, the dress was pretty, and I would agree. The minister said, yeah, what about, what about the men? And the farmer said, they were asking if the mule was for sale. <laughs> so. so, when I say God is out to change you, I'm not talking about nagging. I'm not talking about, the, <laughs> I'm talking about God is up to a kind of interior change and inner transformation that is so deep, so deep, that it changes everything about how you view and how you do life. Yeah, I'm talking about a deep, deep change. There is a great passage of Scripture, and I hope you found it by now. It's in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, I want you to get a peek at the kind of change that I think God is after when God pays attention to you and to me. From Ezekiel chapter 36, and and the text will also be on the screen here, we begin in verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. This is a gorgeous passage. Can we sit with this image for just a moment? The text tells us that God thinks of our hearts this way. He says, I want to take from you the heart of stone. Do you know, you don't have to live long enough to realize that the human heart can become stone. It can become stone to one another. It can become stone to God. Do you know anybody in your life whose heart has hardened? See, the heart of stone is a heart that is, that is hard, it's, it's impenetrable, it, it, it's impervious. You, can, you cannot reach it, you cannot break through to it. It's, it's a heart that is closed. Do you know somebody like that? Do you know somebody who no matter what you try to do to love them, they, they won't let you? No matter what you try to do to share your compassion or your mercy or your grace, maybe you try to serve them, to lift them up, whatever it is you're trying to do, and yet for whatever reason, do you know somebody who tries to just keep you at a bit of an arm's distance? No matter how close you try to get, they just just shove you away. It's the heart of stone. And if you know somebody who has a heart of stone, believe this, 
We can do the same with God, not just with each other, but we can become so hard-hearted, heart of stone, that we, that we can keep God at, at, at a distance and no matter what God desires to do with us, we, we won't let him in. And before we get too quick to judge people with hard hearts, before we, we attempt to condemn anybody who may have a heart of stone, let's not forget that we get hearts of stone for a number of reasons. We're not born with hearts of stone. Nobody's born with a heart of stone. When you're born, your, your heart is open. It's a heart of flesh. It's open. It's, it's longing. It's hungry and thirsty for trusting relationships. It's longing for intimacy, for care. That kind of heart is the heart that, that was beating in you when you were born. But then when rejection happens or abuse, or neglect. Or we go down this meandering path of sin, perhaps secret struggle that goes unchecked. One day after the next seems to harden the heart, and no matter what we try to do, it keeps not only God, but everyone who cares about us distant. Do you know anybody like that? Because God says, I want to remove from your, your body the heart of stone, and I want to replace it with the heart of flesh. I want to put back into your heart this vulnerable, receiving, tender, shapeable heart so that in time it learns to beat again. It learns to trust again. It learns to love again. It learns to beat in rhythm with my own heart. I want to put in you a heart that is able to be calibrated so that it breaks over the things that break my heart. And, and it, it races over the things that, that exhilarate me. This is what God wants to do. And when I say that God is up to change you, out to change you, that's the kind of change I'm talking about. And it may be that you've gathered here in this place and, and, and it's no accident. It may be that God, the God who has been paying attention to you from the time that your, your heart began its first beat, or like the song we sang a moment ago, from life's first breath, from that moment, the God who has been paying attention to you may have been ordering every moment and every movement of your life, may have been arranging every relationship and every conversation to bring you to the point today when you need to hear somebody say to you, God wants to give you a new heart. And if you are there, if for some measure of God's grace, you have walked into this room on the day when you needed to hear that, you need to know it's a lot simpler than you might have ever imagined. It begins with prayer. A prayer that sounds something like this. God, I don't even know if you're listening. I hope you are. I believe a little bit. I doubt a lot. But in the midst of my little bit of believing and in the midst of my whole bunch of doubting, 
I recognize that I think something has been happening in me. I'm beginning to realize I'm shoving everybody who loves me away from me. I'm beginning to recognize that the very ones who love me and care for me, I'm, I'm creating kind of a, a heart of stone, and I'm not only rejecting them, but I'm keeping you at a distance from doing the very thing that you want to do in my life, and I can't, I can't get to, to experience the presence and action of you until you do something with this heart of mine. If you desire that to be your prayer, it can right now. You don't have to wait to the end of a sermon. Tune me out and commune with God right where you are. And even at the end of the service when we play music again and we're standing down here inviting you, you come running down the aisle and we'll hold your hand and celebrate your spiritual heart transplant. That's what we call good news. But now here's the shadow side of good news. Those of us who have been Christians a long time, maybe we make the most fatal assumption of anyone. Because if we've been walking with Christ for a little while, we know that maybe there was a time a year ago, five years ago, 30 years ago, when we allowed God to do a spiritual heart transplant with us, and we assume that because that moment took place, that change of heart that God established within us was maybe the last thing that God wanted to do to change our hearts. But that's not how it works. The fact is, if you are walking with Christ and are a follower of Jesus, the fact is, this heart change that God wants to make is an everyday perpetual change. Because heads up, the human heart can become stone again. If left unattended, if left ignored, if we don't do anything to nurture or cultivate that spiritual relationship with Christ on the inside, that heart of flesh that he gives us in our heart, spiritual heart transplant, can become stone again with neglect. And the truth is, when you say yes to Christ, you are saying yes to a lifetime of perpetual change. It's not a one-time decision. You're deciding that every day now I will wake and hand my heart back to God and say, Christ, shape it today. Change how I... Yesterday, I, I, I thought about my neighbors and my friends and my, even my enemies one way, but show me today, shape me more that I may be able to beat in rhythm with you. See, so you... You and I, we sing great things. We sing things like, uh, wherever he leads, I'll go. You know this song. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I mean, let that sink in. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me. So, wherever he leads, I'll go. But you cannot sing that and stay put. You cannot sing that and say, you know, wherever you leave my heart, as long as it remains the same as it was yesterday. <laughs> wherever you want to transform my mind, as long as I don't have to change my opinion about anything. 
<laughs> By the way, that's not in the notes. I'm just kind of... But the truth is, when you say yes to Christ, you say yes to a lifetime of perpetual change. That means you ought to be a little bit different today than you were this day last year. Can I tell you what that kind of looks like? So on Facebook, the gospel according to... On Facebook, there is a feature, there's an app that it, called Time Hop. And Time Hop, or On This Day, is a little feature that on Facebook from time to time, it will pop up and show you what you were doing this time last year. Or this time two years ago. Or on this day seven years ago. So if you posted a picture, it's going to post that same picture that you posted on July the 30th, 2009. Right? Well, the other day... A time hop came up on my Facebook notifications and I clicked it and I looked at it and it was a picture. A picture of my family, just the four of us. It was like seven years ago. And I'm not going to show it today because there are friends present and I'm not going to. Yeah. But the difference seven years makes? I mean, you don't understand the difference seven years makes. Here's a picture of the four of us and the two kids in the picture I didn't even recognize. Because now, comparing that day seven years ago to that day today, the boys are so much taller. My hair is so much grayer. And Laura is so much more radiant than she has ever been. Just keeps going on up. You see what I did there, Glenn? But the truth is, there is in this time hop a measurable morphing that is taking place. I'm able to see seven years ago on this day, that's what it looked like. And I can look seven years into the future today, and I can compare the difference, and I can measure where we have morphed. And this past week, it occurred to me, this provocative question arose in my soul as I began to think, what if we could time hop the soul? What if there was some way that you could get a hold of a snapshot of your spiritual heart seven years ago? Your spiritual heart three years ago, one year ago. And if you were to compare the condition of your spiritual heart one year ago on July the 20th or 30th, 2016, and compared it to the condition of your spiritual heart on July the 30th, 2017, would you be able to see any difference at all? Are you more loving because you've had one more year to walk with Jesus? Are you more kind? Are you more patient? In other words, are you more Christ-like? Because those of us who are in the way of Jesus, we say that we walk alongside him wherever he leads. I'll go. And well, we've been walking with him one more year since last year. Is there any evidence to prove it? See, there's a beautiful passage of Scripture in Galatians. 
It talks about what we call the fruit of the Spirit. It's in Galatians, and it reads this way, the fifth chapter. The fruit of the Spirit, watch this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Well, fruit is something that grows. It's like produce, right? Fruit is the evidence that all the conditions in the soil were right. And so the fruit that grows out of spending time with the Spirit, fruit that grows as produce out of time hanging out with Christ is love, joy, peace, patience. So my question is this. If you've been walking with Christ for one year or three years or 40 years, are you more loving today than you were then? Is your love deeper, and maybe even a more important word, is your love wider? Does it include more people? Does your love include more groups of people than it did one year ago? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Are you more joyful this year? Is there a, is there a lightness of being in you? Where when people are around you, they just kind of want to be with you, not because of anything other than you just, you just you chill. Why would you be chill? Because you've been walking a long time with the one who is yesterday, today, and forever, and you recognize in walking with him that the thing that stresses you out today, well, you're going to outlive that thing. And so you're unflappable. You're not worried about it. So the joy that comes out of walking with him means that you're more joyful today than you were one year ago. Love, joy, peace, patience. Are you more patient? <laughs> do, you, do you have more peace in you? I mean, I don't want to hammer this too, too hard today, but the truth is if you and I have been walking side by side, wherever he leads, I'll go. If we're walking with Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, then is there any evidence in you that there is peace growing out of your heart are we peacemakers like we were told we were supposed to be you see where i'm going with all these right are you more loving more kind more patient more are you <laughs> goodness is another one are you gooder are you gooder in fact the word that's actually there is, is related to charity which means generous if you've walked a while with the generous one are you now more generous today than you were this time last year because the truth is, if you walk with him, you cannot not produce fruit. The fact is, you can't be Christ-like without spending time with him. But the fact is, if you spend time with him, you will not not produce fruit. Jesus said it in, Matthew, in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. It's, it, it's just going to happen. So the question is, if we're not bearing that fruit, or the fruit that we're bearing is no different than the fruit we bore last year, we have to call into question the kind of time that we're spending with Christ in the Spirit. So what do we do? I suggest two things. 
There are two things. I don't want to leave us hanging out here in this kind of uh, theoretical cloud. I want to bring it down and offer just two things that we can do if we want to take this new heart that we've been given, this heart of flesh, and, and cultivate it in such a way that it beats in rhythm with his own heart. There are two things that we can do. And if I could just be honest with you, they're not complicated. We overcomplicate things so much so that it keeps us living with a hardness of heart. The two things that we must do to cultivate a heart that beats in rhythm with his. Number one, time spent alone daily with Christ. It's really not rocket science. You cannot become more Christly if you have not spent quantity time with Christ. And I say that from the experience of my own failure. The fact is, you and I sometimes will use, now I'm about to get on a little bit of a soapbox, but sometimes we use the word quality time and quantity time very casually. And it's a pet peeve of mine because when I meet friends who say, well, you know, I don't spend a lot of time with my family, with my kids, but the time I do spend is quality time. I just want to say, you know, <laughs> ministerially speaking, of course. Because quality time is a big fat hoax. The only way you become intimate with those you love and who love you is with large amounts of unscripted, unplanned, uncontrolled time in which you just chill. And it's out of that time, that quantity time, that the best conversations emerge. It's out of that kind of quantity time that you know something about them and they know something about you, and the same thing works with Christ. Unless you're spending quantity time with Christ every day alone, you and he, then next year when the spiritual time hop shows back up on the Facebook of your heart, you will say, well, why does this fruit look the same as it did last year? Well, Paul said something about what it looks like to spend that kind of time with Christ. And this is a fantastic and beautiful image that gets painted for us in the New Testament. This is the Second Corinthians passage that you have your thumb in, I hope, or maybe you have pulled up on your screen. It's the Second Corinthians passage, but before we read it, you have to know what he's, what he's got in the background. Paul, in this letter, is trying to talk about this mystery of knowing Christ and the significance of knowing Christ, and, and what a beauty that is. In fact, in the next chapter, he calls it a treasure. It's like this, like this treasure down buried beneath clay jars. But in this chapter, he's setting it up by saying, okay, here's the deal. Remember Moses? And he tells this story about Moses. And those who were listening for the first time knew this story. It went a little something like this. In the book of Exodus, Moses and the people of Israel are at the foot of the mountain. And Moses is going up the mountain to commune with God, right? And he goes up, that's where he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes back down, and every time he goes back up, he's in the presence of God and all of God's radiance and glory and, 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 and beauty, right? And he begins, his face begins to, to shine, literally, physically shine, like he's got this holy sunburn. And he comes down, and, and the people are amazed, they see his face, because it's like the evidence that he's been with God on the mountain. It's this evidence. They see it like fruit. And so they're so overwhelmed by the shining of this face, and so he starts to put a, 
Well, he puts a mask over it. He puts a veil over it so as to not overwhelm them. So he keeps going up the mountain and he takes the mask off and he shines in God's glory, gets another sunburn, puts it back on, comes down and says, hey, hey, watch this. Woohoo! look, been with God. And as he's going up and down, eventually something interesting happens. The glory, the Shekinah, the sunburn, that's on his face begins to fade. In other words, the evidence of the time that he had spent with God was beginning to, to fade. And so now he's starting to wear a mask in order to hide the fact that it's fading. And I know that none of us would know anything about wearing a mask to church and hiding our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses. But Moses did. And he comes down and he hides his face to show that, that, that he has not been fading. Everything's just fine. And Paul reaches back and grabs that story and pulls it into his letter. And in the third chapter of 2 Corinthians, this is what we pick up. He says, since then we have such great hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep people from, of Israel from gazing at the end of his holy sunburn that was being set aside, fading, but rather their minds were hardened Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil, mask, covering, is still there. Indeed, to this very day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with, with unveiled faces, Seeing the glory of the Lord as though revealed in a mirror are being transformed, changed, morphed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying, I know what it looks like to try to hide your vulnerabilities. But you don't have to do that in Christ. The most beautiful part of this passage is when one turns to Christ, he says, the veil is removed. And Paul knew what Moses knows and what you and I know is that we at, at times try to hide the condition of our heart, whether it's this heart of stone or heart of flesh. And so we put a veil over us. But he says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And then you look into the face of Christ. And Christ looks into your face and you become transformed from one image to the next in other words when you spend time alone with him you see into his character something that your own soul longs for you long for the love that you see in his face you long for the compassion the grace the love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control that you see in his face you long for it and so if you find a way to remove the mask long enough you do what thomas keating refers to as the divine gaze in which you gaze into his face and the radiance of his beauty and he gazes into you and he sees your character and everything that is not christly melts away and you're transformed bit by bit day by day degree by degree so that when your time hop shows up next year your fruit looks a little different 
So the very first thing that we do is spend time daily alone with Christ. But the second thing we do is this, time spent together weekly with one another. How is it that we cultivate a heart that is able to sink in rhythm with his, not only time spent alone daily with Christ, and I don't care how you do it, you find the time to sit and gaze, find the time to be with him, to abide with Christ. But the second is like it, time together with one another every week. Now this is not the typical um, get your butt to church guilt trip, though I'm not above that either, as you know. So get your butt to church. But it's more than that. Do you know what happens when you don't come? I'm not talking about what happens when you, the consumer, doesn't come and purchase the product that we're selling. I'm talking about, do you know what happens when you, the part of the body of Christ, is missing from this gathering? Just this. I believe to the core of me that your experience with God is unique to you. And when I say it, I, I mean in the universe. There's not another mortal or organism in the universe who has encountered this divine being exactly the way you have encountered it. That means you've got a take on God. You've got some perspective on God that is singularly unique to you and when you don't come when we don't come there is a part of understanding God's very character that is missing from the room because you didn't bring it so part of cultivating a condition where a heart beats in sync and rhythm with God's own heart of flesh is not just daily time spent alone with Christ, but time spent weekly with one another, you and me. Because when you come and you decide to bring your heart of flesh and you lay it out there vulnerably in a Bible study or Sunday school or in worship and you say, you know what, all veils removed, this is who I am, these are the pretty parts and these are the ugly parts, these are the finished parts and these are the unfinished parts, I'm imperfect, but here it is, then here's what happens, all of our other hearts are on the table too. And suddenly, as we see in one another imperfections being perfected in Christ, the hearts begin eventually to beat in rhythm with each other and with Christ in what we call the body. Time alone, quantity time with Christ daily. And time together as the body of Christ every week. And it will bring us to the ability to say what Henry Nouwen said. When we're together, when the Christ who is in me recognizes the Christ who is in you, the space between us is holy ground. Amen. Let's pray. God, we believe your promise. 
that those of us with hearts of stone can be made new by a spiritual heart transplant. We believe that you have the desire and the ability to remove the heart of stone and to replace it with a heart of flesh. And we also believe that when you do that, we continually change every day. Because you call us to new places and new adventures that are unfamiliar so that we learn to trust you every day just as we did the first day. Show us this day what we must do so that this time next year the fruit that grows out of this body is new fruit, fresh fruit. And we pray that as we spend time with you, and time with one another, we discover just how holy the sacred ground between us really is. In the name of Christ, our Lord, amen.